Well, good morning, Rama Bible Church. I'm so excited to be with you guys this morning. I'm telling you, back to school Sunday. Where's all my young people at? Can I hear you? No, 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 young people, I think we can do better than that. Can I hear you? Yeah, come on. Come on. Well, I'm excited to be with you guys this morning, and I hope that you're ready to hear a word, because I'm ready to give a word. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, hey, I I do want to give honor to where honor's due, and I want to thank Pastor and Miss Lynette and Pastor Denise and Pastor Craig for allowing me to have one of the coolest jobs in the planet, that I get to help be a part of raising up the next generation of Rhema Bible Church. I'm telling you, I don't take it lightly. And uh, I love seeing what God's doing in our young people. I'm telling you guys, they are hungry for God. They just want Him. They want His presence. And we're seeing it week after week after week. I hear testimonies of our young people meeting at McDonald's for Bible studies, just opening up their Bibles. I hear testimonies of young people just going up to friends, people they don't know, laying hands on them, just praying over them for not feeling good. And we're seeing testimonies come in from our young people being bold, being bold, just, just declaring the Word of God over people's life. But you know, I don't do this alone. I do this with the help of an incredible staff and also volunteer team. So if you help serve in any capacity in Ramey Youth, can you please stand up? Can we give it up for them who serve? I'm telling you what, so many gifts, so many different supplies that come in. And I'm telling you what, there is a leader for every student. And I love seeing the students connect with these leaders. I have the best team. That's what I say. I have the best team. Well, hey, a little bit about me. When I was in school, uh, I grew up a pastor's kid. And there was a time in my life where I had a lot of bitterness, a lot of hurt, and a lot of pain from the church. And uh, I rebelled and I kind of walked away from God. I left my family's church. But you know what? God had some divine appointments for me. Divine appointments where he showed up. And he showed me his love. He showed me his grace. He showed me his mercy. He picked me up. He turned me around and he set my feet back on solid ground. I'm telling you what, I believe in divine appointments. And I believe that some of you have a divine appointment with Holy Spirit this morning. I believe that God in some of you wants to pick you up. He wants to turn you around. He wants to place your feet back on solid ground. He wants to turn you back to him this morning. And so if you want God this morning, can I hear you? God wants to meet with you. I don't care what you came in here with, whatever baggage, bitterness, addiction, pain, it does not matter. God wants to meet with you. So why don't we turn to someone and say, God wants to meet with you. The title of my message today, if you're taking notes, is The Cost of Revival. The Cost of Revival. See, revival is a word you don't actually see in Scripture. But you see it take place in every space that Jesus showed up. Can I tell you that when Jesus shows up, things begin to change. 
Can I tell you that when Jesus shows up, things begin to shift. When Jesus shows up, things begin to happen. What would you do if Jesus walked down the aisles of this church today? What would you say? How would you shout? How would you praise if Jesus walked down the aisle today? I'm telling you, when Jesus shows up, things change. You want to know why? Because it says that he carried the life of God. John said in chapter 5 of his gospel, he said, As the Father had life in himself, so he granted to the Son to have life in himself. And John 10.10 says that he came that you might have life and that you might have it more, come on, more, more abundantly. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made by him. Without him, nothing was made that was made and in him was life and that life was the Light of men and the light shone in the darkness and the darkness could not comprehend it. I'm telling you, the life of God is in this place today. And when that light shines, dark things begin to tremble. Things inside of you that have been tormenting, you just got to get up. They're going to run out today. I believe that God wants to set you free today. Simply because the Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, liberty. He set you free. And I believe that we're going to come in light of the revelation of the freedom that he's given to you today. Amen. The word revival, there's several definitions, but one is the improvement in the condition or strength of something. I I believe God wants to strengthen some of you today. Another definition said it's an instance of something becoming popular active or important again. Can I tell you that God wants to become popular again in your life? God wants to be important again to you. See, I know that he was important to you and popular to you at camp meeting. But then a week later, all of a sudden he's not popular enough to come in to work with you. Now, I'm not just coming at you because I've been there, okay? I'm sharing with you. But then all of a sudden you were in a conversation and he wasn't important enough to be included. See, God wants to be the center of your world. The center of your attention. And see, God has never lost his significance. God has never lost his greatness. God has never lost his power. I love that old song. It says, and it reaches to the highest mountain. I can't sing, but I'm going for it. And it flows to the lowest valley. It's the blood that gives me strength from day to day. It will never lose It's power. Can I tell you the blood is still as powerful today as it was then. And by faith, I have a new covenant that I can come into his presence at any time, anywhere, at school, in the mall, in my bedroom, in the car. I have access to the throne of God because of the blood that was shed for me. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. He has never lost his significance. He has never lost his greatness. But there are some times where we lose sight 
of his significance and of his greatness. The word revive, stemming from the word revival, simply means to restore back to life or consciousness. God wants to be on your mind. But I also believe that God wants to bring some dead things back to life. So I want to talk to every person who feels dead, dry, fruitless, hopeless, no vision. Maybe you feel numb. That's who I'm talking to today. Because I believe that God has a divine appointment for you. And that his life wants to infuse you once again. That you can feel that you can love and have joy back in your life. Amen? I love that we all depend on him. We all need revival. We all need his life. Every day I'm on borrowed breath. You're on borrowed breath. The very fact that you are here today is proof positive of the power of God in your life. He willed for you to be alive today. And if that's not enough to give him glory and honor and praise, I don't know what is. Whether you are saved or unsaved, you are here because he willed for you to be here. And if you are breathing, he's still got a plan for your life. It does not matter how old or how young that you are, God has a plan for your life if you are breathing. Amen? I want you to write this down. Extraordinary revival comes at an expensive price. Extraordinary revival comes at an expensive price. Now that we know what revival is, let's talk about the cost. Luke says in chapter 14, verse 28, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the, come on everybody, count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it. Can I tell you that this life requires something of you? It does not matter what it is. If you have a job, if you uh, are in sports, relationships, marriage, Having kids, especially, requires something of you. It will cost you something. And can I tell you that revival will cost you something? Revival, God's life, will require something of you. Everyone wants revival, but not everyone wants to pay the price. Let me say it like this. Everybody loves to arrive but not everybody likes to take the trip. Everybody loves to sit around the warm fire, but not everyone likes to collect the sticks. Catherine Coleman, she said this, everybody's looking for a bargain these days. They want something for nothing. She said, but I would be lying to you if I told you that this cost me nothing, she said it cost me everything. What was the this she was talking about? 
She was talking about her relationship and connection to the Holy Spirit. She was talking about how she operated and functioned in him. That was the this, and she said it cost her everything. Revival will cost you something. The bad news is, is you can't buy revival. It does not matter how much money you have or how much money you have in your piggy bank. (laughs) You cannot buy revival. The good news is, Every single one of you in this room has the one thing that is required for revival. Everybody say one thing. That one thing is what I want to talk to you about today. And I promise you, at the end of this message, if you were to give up this one thing, then God in his principles and his character only has one response and that is to infuse you with himself, with his life, and with revival. But it's one thing. Everybody say one thing. If you have your Bibles, go to 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20, and just hold it there. So the nation of Israel was brought up by God to usher in Jesus. And there was many, many times that Israel lost sight of God's significance, of God's power, and of God's greatness. At this time, Israel was divided. There was a northern and a southern. The northern had 20 bad kings in a row. The south had eight good kings and 12 bad kings. Let's focus on the north. 20 bad kings in a row. That's not just 20 years. (laughs) That's 20 bad kings. That's however long they ruled. That's a lot of bad influence and allowing evil things to run rampant for a long time. And there was one specific bad king that I want to highlight today. His name was Ahab. Everybody say Ahab. Ahab was a bad king. (laughs) And more than that, he married badly. How bad might you ask? As bad as it gets. He married a woman named Jezebel. Jezebel was a Phoenician princess, and he married her for commercial reasons. He wanted to import and export with the Phoenicians. Smart money move, but a bad soul move. Young people, can I tell you that there are few, fewer decisions in this life that matter more than whom you choose to spend the rest of your life with? Relationships matter. Can I tell you that some of you have some toxic relationships and you know it? And I believe in order to go higher, you got to say goodbye to some of those people. It might hurt, but it's worth it. It might cost you something, but it's worth it. Can I also tell you that you might be outgrowing some friend groups? That God might be using you in some ways that are making some people around you insecure and jealous. And so therefore they're tearing you down and trying to bring you back to their level. But you do not go back to their level. You keep climbing. You keep climbing. I said you keep climbing. Young people, you keep climbing. When you go back to school, people are making fun of you. They're trying to tear you down because you got joy, because you got peace and it doesn't make sense. You do not go down. You keep climbing. You keep climbing. See, relationships matter because Jezebel had some importing and exporting to do herself. (laughs) She wanted to import the worship of Baal and export the worship of God from the nation of God. Now, Baal was worshiped in ways that would make your stomach turn. 
child sacrifices. They were cutting themselves, all different kinds of sexual sin. Basically, they were just worshiping their flesh, what felt good. And here's the problem. Jezebel was succeeding. God's people wanted to worship their flesh, but also ask God for his blessings. My goodness, that sounds a whole lot of like so many people in the church today. They want their cake and eat it too. They want to be able to live in comfort, to live in their flesh, do what I want to do, but then I still want God to bless me. I'm telling you, God don't bless that. God does not bless you just sitting on your blessed assurance doing nothing and then saying, God, I need revival. God, I need you to turn it around. God, I need you to bless me. Open up the windows of heaven. And he's saying, get up. Open your mouth. Get in the church. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And Israel walked away, was walking away from God. Now, anytime Israel walked away from God, God would always raise up a voice. He'd always raise up a prophet. So I want to talk to you about Elijah the Tishbite. Elijah comes out of nowhere in 1 Kings 17. Literally nowhere. He busts into the presence of King Ahab and you, which you just don't do that. You just don't bust into the king's presence. But Elijah had this boldness and he busts right into the king's presence. Now this would, would, would have been really awkward because the only description that we have of Elijah, get this, he was hairy and he wore a leather belt. That same description can be applied to Chewbacca. <laughs> and he runs in and he says, it won't rain until I say so. First sermon ever preached. First Kings 17. Let's look at it. It says this. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years. Watch this. Except at my word. And then he runs away. <laughs> he just runs away. Think about how awkward this encounter was. I'm sure everybody's laughing. But then guess what? Nobody's laughing. Because no rain, no dew. Now everybody's like, where's the hairy guy? (laughs) We got to find the hairy guy. So they go on a three-year manhunt. They can't find him anywhere. Where is he? He's down at a brook getting fed by ravens. This guy's life was weird. (laughs) No rain, no dew, Cisterns, wells, reservoirs, brooks, rivers, they're all drying up. And everybody's panicking. Two things you need to know about rain in the Bible. Number one is this, if you're taking notes, it's always a symbol of God's blessing. It's always a symbol of God's blessing. Deuteronomy Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 13, and please young people, hold on to this verse. And it shall be, this is a command, it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments which I command you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all. Everybody say all. All. With all your heart and with all your soul. And you watch, if you do this, 
Watch what the response is. Verse 14. Then I will give you the rain for your land in its season. The early rain, the latter rain, that you may gather your grain. I love this. He's spitting bars right here. Your new wine and your oil. I want you to write this down. Blessing always follows obedience. Blessing always follows obedience. The second thing you need to know about rain in the Bible, it's always a matter of life and death. It's always a matter of life and death. No rain, no dew, reservoirs, cisterns, wells, all drying up. So much to the point, they're having life and death conversations on whether they keep their horses alive or their cows alive. Do we water our horses for transportation because we got to find this guy? He said at his word, rain would come. So do we water our transportation or do we water our food? They're betwixt between the two, (laughs) but they're having life and death conversations. Every detail matters in this sermon. I need you to understand their water was critically low. Critically low. So Israel is going through a drought. Why? God put them there. Why? Because of their rebellion. Because they lost sight of his significance, his greatness, and his power. And I might mess up somebody's theology, but I don't care because it's in Scripture. Sometimes the most loving thing God can do is allow you to go through something difficult, knowing that in it you would come to such a point of desperation that only Jesus could satisfy you. Can I tell you there is only one thing that can fill you. There's only one thing that can satisfy you. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who reigns forevermore. He's the only one that can quench your thirst. He's the only one who can fill you back up. He's the only one who can turn your life around. And he's not okay with second place. I said he's not okay with second place. He wants to sit on the throne of your heart. He wants to be the center of your world. He wants all of your attention. When it talks about giving God glory, that word glory, there's two words. There's kabod and there's doxa. But giving God glory in the Greek is doxa, which means to make him an audience of one. It also means to come before him in reverential adoration. It means that he wants to be your focus. He wants to be the one thing that your eyes are on. So what I love is they're going through this drought for three years. Everybody say three years. And then God speaks to Elijah and Elijah comes out of hiding. And I love God. He says, I want you to go to Ahab. I want you to tell them that I want a duel, a duel up on Mount Carmel. Me versus Baal. He says, but I want you to make sure that all of Israel is there. This is key. I want you to make sure all of Israel is there. Israel is there. So what's really interesting is the ancient Phoenicians believed that Mount Carmel was the dwelling place of God Baal. 
of the god Baal. So God's given him home field advantage. He's like, I'm about to whoop you on your home field, (laughs) y'all. And this is where we pick up in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and he said, watch this, how long will you falter between two opinions? In the Hebrew, this is a, a picture of a bird jumping from branch to branch because it doesn't know which one to land on. Do I serve God or Baal? God or money? God or social media? God or video games? God, I'm coming until I meet with somebody, or people. I'm telling you what, God is in the business of disrupting idols in this season. He wants to take out those things that you have put in first place. He wants to rip them out. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A house divided among itself, it cannot stand. The devil is the author of confusion. If you've been confused about something, can I tell you that it's probably going to lead to destruction in your life because God does not like someone who can't make up their mind. Some of you, the destruction that is happening in your life is simply because you just won't make up your mind. I feel that for somebody. There's some decisions that you've been struggling with, and I'm telling you, God's already given you the answer. You just got to do it. Nike, just do it. He's given you everything that you need for a godly life. 2 Peter 1.3 says, by his divine power, he's given everything you need for a godly life. By coming to know him, the one who drew you into himself by means of his glory and his excellence. You have it all. And I love this. He says this. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bowls. Let them choose one bowl for themselves, cut it into pieces, lay it on the wood, put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bowl, lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call in the name of your gods, I'll call in the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So classic guys, settling this over a barbecue. <laughs> so all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bowl for yourselves and prepare it first. So they got home field advantage and they get ball first, no coin flip. He says, you go first for you are many and call in the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bowl, which was given them and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning, even till noon saying, oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. Then they leaped about the altar, which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them. Anybody like mocking? Just me. You're biblically justified, okay? It's right here. The Bible says encourage each other more often, so just keep it to a minimum. He said, cry aloud, for he's a God. Either he's meditating or he's busy or he's on a journey or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves as was their custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. Can I just take a moment and just say that I'm thankful that my God does not require my blood, but he sent his son to shed his blood, that by faith he is the propitiation of my sin and I can have access to him. I'm thankful for Jesus and his shed blood for me. 
verse 29, and when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. I really hope that you are not serving a God that is powerless to help you in your greatest time of need. Verse 30, then Elijah said to the people, come near to me. I love this. He's like, come here. So all the people come near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. Now I love this because this also would have been awkward because Benjamin and Judah were not included. They were separated. There was division in Israel. But I love that even Elijah knew that where there is unity, there's power. Where there's unity, there is power. And he says, you were not meant to be divided. You were meant to be one. And church, can I tell you, you were meant to be one. And I am so tired of division in the church. This is why the devil would love to come between you and your parents, you and your friends, you and your pastors. He wants a fence to rise up because if he can keep division, he can keep his spirit from moving like it is he wants it to. But I'm telling you what, when unity comes back to the church, then so will revival. And I'm tired of insecurity, pettiness, competition in the church. I'm telling you, we all have a different supply. We all have different gifts, but we have one spirit. We have Jesus Christ. And when Jesus is lifted up, then his life will come back into the church. Unity, there's power. And Elijah knew this. Then with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seas of seed. He put the wood in order, cut the bowl in pieces, laid it on the wood and he said, watch this, this is key. Fill four water pots with water, pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. They did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. They did it a third time. Can I tell you, in order for there to be revival, there can't just be receiving and there can't just be responding. There has to be repeating. You got to keep reading your Bible. You got to keep praying. You got to keep coming to church. You got to keep worshiping God. You got to keep praising him in the storm because it's not just people come to camp and camp meeting and they expect God to do something on day one when you've been living like you know what the whole rest of the year. But I'm telling you what, it takes a whole lot more of consistent obedience for God to say, ah, I see the true motive of their heart. So now I'll move on them. It takes repeating. Everybody say repeating. Repeating. Verse 35, so the water ran all around the altar and he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, I love this, he's not cutting himself. He's not dancing. He's not putting on a show. Can I tell you, you don't have to put on a show to get God's attention. I love this, he just talks. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O oh Lord, hear me, that this people may know by experience that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back. I love this, that you have become popular again, that you have become active again, that you have become important again, that you have turned our hearts back. I'm telling you, God wants to turn your heart back to him. God wants to get all of your attention back to him. And I love this. He says that again, it means that one point it was and now it's not. 
Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. I'm telling you, we need a move of God so great in our generation that it causes people to get down on their knees again, back on their face again and cry out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. I'm telling you, we need divine intervention in the church. So people turn their face and eyes back on him. Am I in the right house? I love this. Verse 41, then Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of an abundance of rain. We're talking this morning about the cost of revival. Write this down. Revival is not a spectator sport. Revival is not a spectator sport. Up on this mountain was the prophets of Baal, Elijah, and all of Israel. Now all of Israel, the ones who were double-minded, all of Israel were were, were spectators to almost every single event that took place up on this mountain. They were spectators when Baal was dancing and cutting themselves. They were spectators when Elijah, by himself, rebuilt the altar and dug the trench. They were spectators when the fire of God fell. There was only one thing that they participated in that was required of him. And God says to Elijah, tell them, fill four water pots with water. One job. Everybody say one job. Just add water. Ramen noodles, (laughs) just add water. It's all you got to do. They had one job. A couple things about water that is so interesting. Why water? Number one, I thought water and fire, they don't mix. (laughs) Like you think someone would go, water, fire. Um, Excuse me, hairy guy with a belt. Um, I know that you can stop water for three years with just a word. But I was wondering if you recognize that if we put water, it's going to prohibit the very fire thing that you want to happen here. (laughs) But I love this. I want you to write this down. God can do the impossible. He often asks us to do the impractical. God can do the impossible. There is nothing that God cannot do. He can make seas into highways. He can make manna come out of nowhere. He can take a little boy's lunch and multiply it. He can do the impossible. But often in order for him to do the impossible, he often asks you first to do impractical. Can I tell you that God's going to ask some of you to do some impractical things? Things that don't make sense. He's going to ask you, watch this. He is going to ask many of you who your heart has turned in to give up some things that you never thought you would ever have to give up simply because it has become the thing that you have trusted more than him. And it'll seem impractical, but I'm telling you with it, he can do the impossible. Think about Gideon, 32,000 men against 135,000. 32,000? 135,000. And God said, you got too many. Excuse me? God, I don't know if you see, that's a lot. That's not. (laughs) 
And he says, tell all the guys who are scared, go home. Well, can I tell you, there was a lot of guys scared that day. They just, he goes, any of y'all scared? He goes, go home. They just like took off. He's left with like a couple thousand. And God's like, or Gideon's like, man. And God looks at him and he goes, you still got too many. That makes no sense. That's impractical. But he says, you know what? Tell the rest of the guys, go get a drink from the water. Whoever laps water like a dog, send him home. A lot of guys lapped water like a dog that day. He's left with 300 against 135,000. That's impractical. That does not make sense. But can I tell you that God did the impossible? That God showed up? God loves to stack the deck against himself and us so that way when whatever happens, happens, there's only one explanation that there had to be divine intervention, that God had to be the one who did it. God had to be the one to show up. God wants to show up in your life, church. He just needs your obedience. He just needs you to say yes. It might not make sense. It might seem ridiculous. It might make you look crazy, but who cares? I'm crazy. I don't care what I look like. I'll do whatever he asks me to do because I'm crazy. He used crazy people in the Bible. Noah was crazy. Noah, build a boat. What's a boat? I don't know. Build it. He builds it. He's like, rain's coming. What's rain? I've never seen rain. People are coming to my, why are you building a boat? I don't know. It's supposed to rain. What's rain? I don't know. I'm just building a boat. God needs crazy, radical, bold people who don't care what people think, who will do what he's saying for him to do. Because if you do what he asks of you, then he'll show up. Are you guys okay? The second thing about water that I thought was interesting. Remember, we're talking about the cost. See, it's not like the situation was impossible because they put water on it. Like, you really, like, it wasn't to heighten the level of difficulty on God. Like, I don't think at the word of a prophet when a meteor of fire is about to fall from heaven, that God's going, oh no, what am I going to do, a puddle? <laughs> like, like, I don't think it was to heighten the level of dif- difficulty. Church, remember the context. Three-year drought, wells, reservoirs, rivers, drying up. The water was so critically low, they're having life and death conversations. The water had nothing to do with Elijah. The water had everything to do with Israel. The water was not to heighten the level of difficulty. The water was a precious commodity. The water was the most valuable thing that they had on them. Can I even extend it? It's what was keeping them alive. It was their life source. Who's your source? God. What were they depending on? Water. God's going to ask us to get rid of some things that we're depending on that aren't him. Right? So water 
was the most valuable thing that they had. And you know what I love? It's what was keeping them alive. And God says to them, hey, tell them to fill four water pots with water. Elijah goes, hey, y'all just grab four water pots, fill it with water. Now get this. You got to ask questions. Where did the water come from? They've been up on this mountain all day. Baal took up all the time. And now it's Elijah's turn. And at his word, they just had water. The only reasonable explanation was that the water was their very own drinking water. And all of a sudden he said, fill four water pots. They all just start. Man, they're taking off their canteens, going to their camels, you know, they're like, you know, horses, whatever. Probably didn't have that. They were probably dying. But he pours it in, water pots. But then this is what I love about God. He says this, dump it. Someone was like, what? Impractical, doesn't make sense. This is what's keeping us alive. He said, dump it. You know, when they dumped it, there was that one guy, he was like, And I'm sure God watched their response and he said, you know what? Do it a second time. Savage Jesus. Come on, we need to talk about savage Jesus. He said, do it a second time. They did it a second time. Then he said, you know what? Do it a third time. I can't prove this, but this is for me personally. Sometimes the Holy Spirit just shares things for you. It's just for me. But four water pots times three is 12. There were 12 tribes present. I personally believe he required a water pot from each tribe. Everyone had to participate in this. But watch this. If they would not have poured the water, the rain would have never come. If they would not have poured the water and been obedient to give it up, the rain would not have come. Can I tell you, it's giving, not keeping, that leads to receiving. If you hold on to what you have, that is all that you will have. But if you give what you have into the hands of a God who is more than enough, a God of multiplication, he will bless it. He will break it. He will multiply it. Our God can do a lot with a little. He can take a little boy's lunch, two fish and five loaves, and he can feed 5,000 with 12 baskets left over. In this same story, Elijah finds a widow who has nothing, and he comes to her and he says, feed me. And she says, all I have is one cake, and me and my son, we're going to eat didn't die and he said give it to me first she gives it to him first and then when she was obedient to give up to give up to let go of the thing that was keeping her alive then and only then he said that now your oil will not run out and your bowl of flour will not run out until rain returns back to the earth I'm telling you the Bible says give and it shall be given good measure pressed down shaken together and running over it shall come back to you in many ways but I love this give and it shall be given Ban you can come What shall be given? Whatever you give. My father-in-law was at a rhema service one time. And him and his wife, my mother-in-law, they didn't have anything. And the buckets were coming by. 
And God said, I want you to give. And he said, God, I have nothing. (laughs) They were going through a hard time and he looked down at his tie. He loved his tie. God said, I want to get you to give it. So he loved this tie. It was valuable to him. He took off the tie and he put it in the bucket. Two weeks later, a guy randomly came up to him with a box of ties and said, I don't know why, but I feel led to give you all the ties that I don't wear anymore. (laughs) Given it shall be given. What shall be given? Whatever you give. They gave water. They received water. Can I tell you this? Life for life. You want the life of God? You want Zoe? You want joy unspeakable and full of glory? You want peace that makes no sense? You want supernatural provision? You want all of heaven to open up over you and your family? Then guess what? It's going to cost you something. All of you. Don't pray for what you won't pay for. People praying for God's power. God, I want your power. Why are you healing my family when I lay my hands on them? Where's your power at, God? God, give me your power. But they don't want to pay the price of living pure. I may have been raised old school Pentecostal, but you know what, and a little bit of a holiness movement, but the reality is, is that my obedience to him shows me how much I love him. And I can tell you what, it has been through consecration, setting myself apart in my own will to him that has given me authority. You wanna know why Jesus had full authority? God spoke this to me one time. He said, you wanna know why my son had full authority? I said, God, please tell me. He said, because he had fullness of obedience. You want the fullness of power? You have to be the full, in fullness of purity. People praying for blessings, but they don't want to pay the cost of walking in obedience. People want prosperity, they don't want to pay the price of sowing seeds. You will never have all that God has for you until God has all that you are. I'm gonna say it again. You will never have everything that God has for you until God has all that you are. It's not a game, church. This life, you only get one And how you handle and steward this one will determine what God places you over in his kingdom and in eternity, for the rest of eternity. So what are you doing now? Are you floating through life? Just whatever happens, happens. I'm just, or are you going after God? Are you giving him all your heart? I'm telling you, there's some people in this room, there's areas of your heart that you have not given fully to him. And you know it. You know it. Your finances, your emotions, your marriage, 
your kids. Some of you are trying to control your kids. Your kids are not yours, they're God's. He gave them to you to steward. Can I tell you that God loves your kids more than you do? I'm telling you, the one thing that's in the way of God's fullness and God's power and his spirit coming into the church, there's only one thing in the way and it's you. It's me, it's right here. It's right here. God did not come to make you a better you. Jesus did not come to make you a better you. He came to replace you with him. He did not die on a cross so you did not have to. He died on a cross to show you how to do it because he told the disciples, you must die daily. Take up your cross, your cross. You have a cross to bear. He said, you take it up and follow me. I love this scripture, Philippians 2, 17. Paul said this, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life. Pouring it out, pouring it out, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. Just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share in that joy. Can I tell you there's joy when you give up your life? There's joy when you stop thinking about you? There's joy when you start thinking about, Paul had joy because he was thinking about the churches rather than himself. Though he could have been thinking about himself in prison, he wasn't because he was thinking about others. Get your mind off you. It is so nice when you're free of you. I'm free of me. I don't care. I just care what God says and his affirmation for my life. It's the fear of God, church. His opinion is the only one that matters. The one thing I asked of you today, the one thing that God is asking of all of you in this place is have you given all of you to him? Have you laid down every corner of your heart? Have you laid down every aspect of your life? Have you given it all to him? Because if you haven't, there's an opportunity that's coming right here at the end of the service that you can give it all to him. And who cares what people think? Who cares if they judge you? You know what? It's between you and God. And I love this scripture, Matthew 10, 39. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. You wanna know how to lose your life? Just hold on to it. Do what you wanna do. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. I love this. Elijah comes and because he knew God, and he knew his principles and he knew how God worked. He knew that if they gave water, they would get rain. And he said, by faith, he said, go up and eat and drink for I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. He was speaking in faith because he knew his God, because he knew his character. He knew that his God was faithful. And I'm telling you what, that God is faithful, church, and that if you give up your life, he'll fill you with all of his. I'm telling you, I hear a sound. I hear a sound. I hear a sound of revival. I hear the sound of the winds of heaven coming back to the church, coming back to the bride of Christ. I hear revival. 
I hear sound because of those who have given up, given up their life for him. I'm telling you, there is a glory that is reserved for this hour for those who will give up their life to follow him. It is all of him and none of us. It is less of us and more of him because when Jesus be glorified, when Jesus be lifted up, he said, I will draw all men unto myself. It ain't about you. It ain't about me. It's about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He died for you. He gave his life for you. And so only means necessary is to give it back to him. Get over the pettiness. Get over the offense. Get over the hurt, the pain. Get over it. It ain't worth it. It ain't worth it. It ain't worth it. I said it ain't worth it. There's far better precious promises. There's far better life in Christ. There's joy unspeakable, full of glory. I'm telling you what, I want to be full of glory. I want Christ to shine on me. I want to come down the mountain like Moses did where my face is shining and people say, what are you doing different? What's up with you? I said, I've been in the holies of holies. I've seen the Lord high and lifted up, the train of his robe filling the temple. I've seen it and I can tell you he's good. He's faithful. He's coming back for the church. Revival. If I told you it's already here, it's already here. You already have God, the fullness of God in you. This is in the way. Ephesians 3, that I may comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the height, and the depth of his love that surpasses my understanding. Then and only then can I be filled with the fullness of God that he could do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I could ever ask or think or imagine. I'm telling you, he wants to do more, more, more more. His spirit wants to increase in your life, in your home. Young people, when you go back to school, he wants you to flood the hallways, flood the room, lay your hands on your teachers, watch them recover. I'm telling you what, people need revival. They just don't know it yet. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around, If you're in this place and you say, Zach, there's areas of my life that I have not given 100% of myself to God. Maybe you're in here and you felt dead, dry, numb, empty. If that's you, I want you to get up from your seat and I want you to come down to the altar. Come on. If that is you, you want to give yourself fully, 100% over to Jesus, come on down. Come on, who cares what people think? This is between you and him. Come on, let's give it up, church, for those who are coming down here. If you have not given yourself wholly, 100% to Jesus. Keep it up, they're still coming. This is your opportunity. 
church can we stretch our hands out to these individuals I want y'all to just look inward I wish I could see all y'all's faces just look down at me I want to let you know that God sees you And God is so proud of you that you would be bold enough to say, God, I've been away from you. God, I haven't given you everything. But today is a new day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation and now is the appointed time. I told you that there was divine appointments and this is your divine appointment with God. I said, this is your divine appointment with God. So I want you to close your eyes and I want you to look towards heaven and I want you to lift up your hands. I'm going to pray a prayer and I want you to repeat after me. Say, Father, today I recognize that I haven't given all my life or all my heart to you. But today I make a choice. I take a stance to give you all my heart, to give you all my soul, all my strength. God, here's my life. Do with it as you please. God, I'm yours. Help me to fulfill all the things that you have planned for me in my life before the foundations of the world. God, I love you. I'm all yours. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Can we give it up for these down here? Come on, let's give God a shout of praise. Hallelujah. 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 You guys can be seated. You guys can be seated. Listen, there's nothing I can give, so I'm not going to lay hands on anybody. It's, it's from him. It's from him. But let's not just make this a one-day decision. Let's make this an everyday everyday decision to give him all that you are. Remember what I said. There's some of you, God was speaking very strongly. I felt it. You know what it is that's in the way. (laughs) Netflix, movies, some people, you've placed your kids above him. Nothing should out-prioritize him. And I promise if you keep him first, church, if you keep him first in your life, you will be blessed beyond comprehension and God will show up for you. Worries all fade away. Trust reestablished. And you can sit back and say, God, I trust you. Amen. Amen. Give it up for Jesus one more time. And right now, I just want you to 
give it up for Pastor Hagen as he comes and prays for our young people as they head back to school. Hallelujah. I think you saw our children's pastor, our youth pastor. I think our kids are in good hands. Of course, they're, they're all underneath Pastor Anise, and that was, you know, it takes all of us to build the church. It takes you supporting all of the us, the church, financially and with your presence and your prayers. I want all of my youth from kindergarten through the 12th grade to come down here to the front right now. All of the youth of this church from kindergarten through the 12th grade. If you're in the balcony, we'll wait for you to get down here. I think you can see as our youth are coming how strong our future church is. This is the future of Rama down here. Greg, Denise, Zach, they're the future of Rama. I had the privilege of starting it. But I'm going to have the privilege to sit there and watch it continue. And I'm going to do get to preach, but I'm not going to have to take care of all this other stuff <laughs> that it takes to keep the church going. I'm talking so these kids and youth can get down the stairs. Man, guys, all of y'all in the congregation stand. How many of you remember the, when I do the baby dedications and I have the church to do some things because you have a part in every one of these kids' lives. How many of you kids standing down here, pastor dedicated you on this platform? Hold your hands up. I know a whole bunch of you that I know that's down here. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I believe we about all got here now. Yeah, they're coming, they're finishing coming down the stairs. Praise the Lord. Kids, I want you to take to heart what our youth pastor said to us today. I'm here because I gave everything to God. I had some dreams of my own, but God had a different path for my life. And I'm here today because 
I turned loose of my life and picked up his life. I want all the congregation to reach your hands out and pray as I pray for these young people. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every one of these young people that stand before me today. I am the senior shepherd of this group. And I thank you, Father, for the opportunity that I've had to be there. But now, Heavenly Father, I ask you, at this moment, come into each of their lives. Give them strength and wisdom. Help them to be able to say no when they need to say no. And when to say yes when it's time to say yes. Father, as they embark upon another year in their education, may they not only receive natural education, but during this school year, may they receive a renewed spiritual education. And may they walk each day with you. May they begin each day by saying, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Father, help each one of them to comprehend better than they have ever comprehended in their lives. Thank you, Father, that their understanding, both naturally and spiritually, will be increased this year. Father, now we thank you that the Holy Spirit will overshadow them, guide, guard, and protect them. All of them that are involved in any activities, whether it be athletics, music, drama, whatever, I pray, Father, for the protection over them, physically, spiritually, mentally, and socially, in every way. And now, Father, we thank you in advance for a great year for our young people. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Kids, have a great year. And guys... And gals, if you're in athletics, before you ever take that field, ask God to protect you physically and that you will perform to the best of your ability. That's what I've done when I was, because I was taught that. And I'm teaching you. God bless you. You can go return to your seats. Hallelujah. Isn't this a great group of kids? Hallelujah. Thank God, thank God, thank God. I think today has been a great day. Hallelujah. Praise God. And for...
anyone that has given any money for that youth building down there, you see the results of it today. Or any for the kids auditorium that's being renewed up there right now, you saw the results of it today. I know. I want, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I want Denise, Don, her husband, Zach, and uh, Ashley, and I want uh, uh, Angela and, uh, and John, if he's here. I want y'all to come here. Stand right here. Just stand here. Stand up tight. All right. I want all of the youth workers, children workers uh, that that help, uh, volunteers, that's what I'm talking about. I want y'all to come and stand behind. These are your leaders. I want y'all, all of you, I know there's a lot of the, they got a lot of help. You say, why are you doing this? Because I want you to see what it takes to have what we had down here just a few minutes ago. This is what it takes. This is why we're asking you for your help. Because it's this group here standing behind these leaders that have personal contact with all of these all the way from the kindergarten through the 12th grade. They're divided up into groups and these people right here have personal contact. That's why we need more people because the more youth we have, the more kids we have, the more we need because touching one-on-one some of these younger teenagers here that have grown up in the in the department even from being kids and they've gone through the youth program and now many of them are in college themselves they can talk to those kids on a personal basis because they've lived it We need all of your help. I want all the rest of the church to reach your hands out and pray for these. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these leaders that you put underneath my leadership. I thank you for all of these volunteers. I call them Ministry of Helps because it's a ministry. It's their ministry. And I thank you, Father, that you would give them more wisdom and more knowledge and more understanding to touch our young people's lives on a personal basis. I thank you, Father, for them and for their dedication. And I thank you that you would bless them in many ways, spiritually, physically, 
mentally, socially, financially, in every way. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless all of y'all. Thank you so much. Give these people a hand. Without them, without this group that you just saw right here, you wouldn't have had that group that was down here just before they were. Hasn't today been a great day? Give this, give this youth band and singers a great hand today. Some of them are leaders and some of them are youth. Thank God. Well, first time guests, we're so glad that you chose to be with us today. Connection team, go find those first time guests and take them to out in the lobby to get a special gift. If you're looking for a church home, what do we say, church? Welcome home. Come on and join us. We're having a great time. The staff is going to the doors to shake hands. They're going to they're gonna sing a, a song, and then you're dismissed. If you want to know where any of the pastors are, look at the, look on the screen. That's where, where am I going? Oh, I'm going west today. All right, I got to go. I'll see y'all later. Sing, guys. Yes.